People are emotional beings. I always say the best way to win a battle of logic is to fight it with emotion. But in order to do that, we have to uncover what their emotional motivators are. And they're often hidden. So for the outside sales reps that are listening, your job is to make the invisible visible. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Sherry Levitin with us, and we're going to talk about how to sell with authenticity and build trust with anyone. So, Sherry, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am excited to be here. But I wish I was there because I'm looking at a backdrop of San Francisco and it is very <laughs> evocative and beautiful. It's a beautiful city. And, and, and Sherry was just telling me she is a fourth generation San Franciscan who is now relocated to Park City, Utah. That is correct. And I invited you to come skiing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is, uh, is one of my hobbies. So, um, so Sherry is the founder of the Sherry Levitin Group and she's the best-selling author of Heart and Sell, 10 Universal Truths Every Salesperson Needs to Know, which has now been translated into over four languages. She was awarded LinkedIn's Top 10 Voices in Sales in 2019 and was named one of 50 top keynote speakers in sales by Top Sales World and recently premiered in the Salesforce film, The Story of Sales. As CEO of the Leviton Group, Sherry has helped create over one billion dollars in increased revenue for com companies in over 40 countries. Amazing. Um, well, I'm excited to ask you some questions here today and, and have you teach our listeners a few things. So let's just jump right in. How are today's customers changing the sales game? Oh boy. Uh, I, three things that come to mind right away, Steve. Number one, trust is at an all-time low. Gallup came out with a poll that said salespeople are the second least trusted of all professionals, second only to, I'm going to have you guess, second to who? So, that's a good one. Um, I don't know, bookies, pimps? Uh, politicians. <laughs> it does begin with a P, but it's politicians. <laughs> um, so we've got really three things going on. Trust is at an all-time low. You've got now, Gartner tells us 10 decision makers, but here's the big one. We are completely overloaded and bombarded with information. So our customers are trying to sort through the must-knows with the maybe-need-to-knows. And in fact, Gartner came out with an interesting study, and I just want to share this with the audience because it's so relevant. And imagine we've now got all this information. Neuroscientists tell us that we take in 35 gigabytes worth of information a day, which is the equivalent of 175 newspapers worth of content per day, you and I. Wow. So now think of our customers, 67% um, of their time is spent online before they even talk to a rep. And what Gartner has done is identified three types of selling behaviors and only the third type is effective. So this is huge. The first type of effect of salesperson is the giver of information. Not so effective, they already have information. So this salesperson <laughs> just gives them a bunch more information and confuses them even more. You confuse them, you lose them. 
The second type of seller is the teller of information. It's the sort of egocentric, well, if I were you, based on my experience, here's what I would do, here's what I would buy. Mm, doesn't work so well because we know trust is at an all-time low. It's the third type of seller today that can really earn the trust, the respect, and ultimately the sale of our customer, and that is the sense maker. It's the seller that makes sense of all of the information that the customer already has. And here's the key, and teaches them how to buy a product like yours so that they even know what questions to ask, where to go. How should they be making a decision to buy the type of product that you're selling? Assuming it's a B2B product, a more complex product. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, th this makes a ton of sense. I mean, there's so many decision makers, they're all bombarded with information. And, uh, and, and so it totally makes sense that people would, would trust and, and want to work more with the person that, that m helps them make sense of all that information and the confusion in the world. How, how would you say that salespeople can restore the trust in, in, the, in the, their customers and themselves as sellers? And, and more broadly, how can, how can the community of salespeople restore trust in, in the sales industry? That's a great question. And I think before we can answer that, we have to look at, well, what is trust? I think in sales, there's so many buzzwords used, you know, they're platitudes, you sell emotionally, keep it simple, stupid, build trust. Well, what if we were to unpack what trust really is? Trust consists of five things, empathy, competency, reliability, integrity, and vulnerability. Here's the key though. The Harvard Business Review tells us that the two most important traits of a salesperson is competency, okay, so knowing your product, you know, knowing everything you offer, knowing your software in your case, so knowing your product, and empathy, knowing your customer. So I'm gonna answer that question by asking you a question and saying if you were to choose, you could only get one, and you could only have empathy, knowing your customer, or competency, knowing your product, Steve, which would you choose? Which would you want to have? You only get one. I, if I only had one, I'd want to know my customer. And, and uh, you know, my, throughout my sales career, you know, my background, I, I, had, I studied business and, you know, I had a successful sales career before I started Badger. And I, I always attributed that, that success, not to me being a great, uh, a great salesperson necessarily, but I always attributed it to, my ability to understand my customer's business because of my business training and background. And, uh, and I was just able to empathize with them better, understand their needs more, understand their problems more, have a, have a meaningful conversation with them. And, and if I, I used to work at IBM and frankly, I hardly understood a lot of their products, but if I understood the customer, then if I understood the customer and their problems and their needs, I could, uh, I could then bring in, I, I, I would know enough about some product line that IBM had that I could bring in an expert to, you, to talk with them. Exactly. So, so this is critical because when I ask this question in our seminars, I'll say 70% of the audience will say empathy rather than competency. Now, here's the truth. It's a trick question. Harvard Business Review tells us empathy and competency make up 90% of influence, okay, and 90% of trust. But here's the key, the order matters. 
So they're equally important, but here's the thing. Empathy gets you in the door. It's competency, reliability, and integrity that keep you there. But most mm -hmm. sales reps get it wrong. So they know it intellectually, but they default into this leading with competency. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, somebody connects with you on LinkedIn. You don't know them. You've never met them. And within three seconds, let me tell you about our state-of-the-art solution that I think Badger would do great with, right? They sure. start you, but they don't show you they know you. They know nothing about you yet. Or it's the sales rep that meets with a customer in their office. They instantly whip out their PowerPoint and start telling them all about the competencies as a company. Mm -hmm. When in fact, all research tells us that if we spend more time getting to understand our customer, doing our research, understanding their challenges, their business challenges, and their emotional reasons for even why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. And you I know, can, yeah. It's funny what you're saying, totally resonates with me. So I, uh, I, I, when I was at Google, I was their top salesperson in the world one year. Wow. But, but I, I was always getting in trouble for not following the sales process that that <laughs> they had hired McKinsey to uh, to to sh to, to sh prove like the best most efficient sales process in the world coming from a bunch <laughs> of guys that had never sold anything, and uh, and and they were always like Benson, you're not you're not following the script, you're not you're not doing the. <laughs> You're not doing the presentation. In right, the but you're number it, one in the world. Okay? <laughs> right. I'm like, well, yeah, and, I, and I, I was like, yeah, you know, I just, I think it's actually a, not the best thing to, to do it the way you guys have laid this out. What, what I prefer to do is sit down and not, you know, whip out the presentation, but have a conversation where I develop an understanding of the customer and their problems and have a, have a discussion of their business. And then I want to map I want to start discussing and mapping our product to those problems as a solution. But if I just gave them the stock presentation that I know you worked really hard on, it's not going to work nearly as well as, as what is what I'm doing. And, uh, and they were constantly, they were constantly, every time there was like an upper manager in one of my, you know, joining one of my meetings, they'd be like, Benson, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. And I'm like, I, I don't You're think not I, supposed to sell that much. You're not supposed to have a 40% win rate. <laughs> yeah. Twenty percent win. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know it was. Uh, it's a struggle. It's a, yeah. that, that. So what you're saying totally resonates with me. Yeah. And and, uh, and I I, com I completely agree. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off back then. I just it really it really uh, you, you can continue. <laughs> no, no, you're you're absolutely right. And if there's any managers or leaders on the phone, I just want to make a point about what you said. Every team has the enigma. Now the enigma on the team usually does everything all wrong and the opposite of what you would do or what I would do. And as long as they're selling morally and ethically, you leave that guy or gal alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't try to conform them to your process as well. You know, because sometimes I, I find as I travel that in every company, there's that seller that does everything backwards, but they've got that sort of it factor. Don't try to be them. You know, we're here talking about authenticity. Just because it works for Alan doesn't mean it's going to work for you. In fact, it might backfire for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I think too many people try to control their reps and have them follow a script. And I always say script works scripts work great so long as the customer sticks to their script, but they never do, right? Yeah.
Well, and sometimes it, I think it can be a really valuable exercise to 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 try to put that that uh, put your top reps under under a microscope and try to figure out why are they so good. And sometimes it's something that's replicatable, and sometimes it's not replicatable, right? Um, it just depends. I, I when I was selling for IBM, there was a woman who had been uh, Miss Michigan. And she was uh, or, or runner up for some, I forget, some state in the Midwest. And, and, uh, and she was one of the top, you know, runner ups. And so she, bottom line, beautiful girl, poised, classy. And, uh, and she sold x86 boxes, meaning like, you know, the commodity servers, basically. And she would just destroy her number every year. And it's because she was a, an Indian woman selling x like commodity boxes to, you know, guys that were, that were often Indian in, uh, in <laughs> that managed the servers. And so to, to them, she was like a dream girl, right? She was like, these are guys that live, that work with servers all day. And here's a girl they can talk to, talk to about servers. And she's beautiful. And she's like, you know, from, from the same place they were, that was not, re that was not replicable. She had Perfect some special, example. special weapons in her sales job that made her the best at that job in, in sales in, in the country. But, uh, maybe the world. I mean, she was slinging so many x86 boxes. It was, it was comical. And like, you know, if I tried to sell x86 boxes, I'd get nowhere. Right. I mean, it's just, but, but she, uh, but so that, that is not something that's replicable, but sometimes you'll look at someone who's killing it on your team and, and they have that you, when you kind of put them on the cutting board and dissect them, there's things that they're doing that are, that are replicable. And I would have them teach your team how to do that thing. Maybe they're great at this element of prospecting. They're finding a whole bunch of new deals this way, or maybe they're giving, maybe there's, they have a, a part of their sales process that, 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 that is making their close rate go up, or maybe they're a great closer, who knows, whatever it is, um, figure it out and then have them teach everyone else on the team. Cause it may be replicable or it may be, right. that it may not be replicable, but it, it's uh, it, if it is, it's worth doing. Absolutely. So you talk a lot about authenticity, obviously in your book. Um, how can salespeople sell without losing their authenticity? A, a big thing is just to have the confidence to be yourself. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick example. I had uh, one of my colleagues say to me, this was about five years ago. He said, and he's a millennial, I'm not. And he says, Sherry, you gotta quit like, you know, getting all in the studio and doing these videos that are so planned. People want you to be authentic. And I was actually hiking as we were talking. And he says, I'll tell you what, I double dare you when we get off this call, instead of, you know, doing everything in a studio, just do a Facebook live video. And I said, uh, Daniel, I can't do that. I, I don't have any makeup on. I'm hiking. I'm sweaty. I got my dog here. He's like, exactly. Now I'm scared to death. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I do a Facebook live and I get 14,000 views. Like <laughs> the first time. And I'm like, oh my God, like people like me not being all done up and knowing what I'm going to say. And mm -hmm. uh, I think people need to understand they your customers want to know you. Now, I'm not suggesting that you take all your calls all sweaty on video. What I am saying, though, is that don't be afraid to be who you are. Tell them what you're not good at. Tell them what your product won't do so they'll believe what it will do. And don't be so worried about being perfect. And certainly don't try to emulate somebody else because you will get found out. I do think, and I, I was talking about video, 
that today, if you're not incorporating video into your sales process, you're absolutely missing the boat because it makes you more real. It makes you more approachable. In prospecting, your open rate will be 20 to one. So if you're not incorporating video as part of what you do, that will help you become and have a more authentic relationship with your customer as well. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think video is a very powerful tool to uh, communicate authentically. And I, I would say podcasts are as well. I mean, you know, just like, like I, I, I get a lot of feedback from our listeners on this podcast that they, they really love that just hearing a conversation um, and, and they, you know, it helps them understand a new, new thing and, and learn something, but they, they can, this can't be scripted. Right. And so they really, they get to know you and, and they get to know all these things that you can teach them about. And, you know, so I, they're, they're scripted. Th- I think whenever you're doing something scripted and, and so many sales managers try to get their, their reps to really follow a script, practice the script, be, have high fidelity to the script. And I, I think if you could, you can't take the human element out of sales that way. If, if something can be that scripted, then you should make a video of that and people can watch it before they talk to your sales rep because you should put it on your website. But when they're talking to your sales rep, let their, let them have that authentic conversation where they can truly get to the heart of what the, the, the prospect or customer's problems are or challenges are, and they can start understanding them and bringing a solution to, to them. Absolutely. How, uh, on, on that note, how, how can salespeople uncover their customers' emotions regarding decision-making uh, to really drive sales? I think we must first understand, and this is very hard for more analytical salespeople to understand, and analytical salespeople make some of the best salespeople, that all decisions are emotional. Now that's hard for a lot of people to grasp, but research tells us that the rational brain can't possibly make a decision without involving the emotions. And brain science tells us that, in fact, I do an exercise at my seminars where I'll have everybody write down the last major product that they purchased. You'll get everything from a business to a piece of software, to jewelry, to a house, a car. And at the end of the day, people will think, oh, well, I bought this because it got the best mileage, or I got this investment because it's going to give me the greatest return. But if you keep asking, why do you want a good return? Then what? Then what? If you keep asking why and digging deeper, at the end of the day, they bought a Tesla because they wanted status. At the end of the day, they got that financial investment because one day they want to make sure that they can retire and travel the world. And so our ability to get at the emotional motivators of our clients will dictate our ability to close the deal faster. It creates urgency. Emotional Once we uncover these emotional motivators, we can move that deal through the pipeline a lot quicker. People are emotional beings. I always say the best way to win a battle of logic is to fight it with emotion. But in order to do that, we have to uncover what their emotional motivators are. And they're often hidden. So for the outside sales reps that are listening, your job is to make the invisible visible, even to them, because a lot of times they don't understand what is driving them? If it's software, is it what's driving you to be the best in your space? Is what's driving you to beat your competitor? Is it um, 
you're a middle manager and you're making a decision, but you're concerned about job security. At the end of the day, if you make a bad decision, you saw what happened to the last guy, you got fired. So that's why they may stick with the status quo, but your ability to understand that will always dictate your success. That's, a, that's really powerful. Um, in your book, you have 10 universal truths uh, uh, that, that uh, kind of make up the, that freedom lives in, freedom lives in structure. Could you explain what exactly you mean by this? Right, particularly in light of the fact that we've been talking about don't have scripts. Right. Right, so, so isn't that contradictory? You're saying structure, um, what do you mean by freedom? When I, when I talk about a sales structure or a sales process, what's important is that sales reps not only know, a lot of times we just look at the stages in our CRM and figure those are sales steps. We need to think about, okay, this is the step where I'm going to build a relationship. This is the step where I'm going to do discovery. But then we need to have best practices and non-negotiables built into those steps or activities. And I'll give you an example. Every time we talk to a client and do a discovery, and usually there's, in my business, there's three or four decision makers, I'm going to do a discovery with that client, and I know that I have four goals of that discovery call. Now, I'm not going to script it, but I know I need to know the facts of their situation, their, their context. I know that I need to find a problem. I know that I need to find the implications of that problem. It's got to be a painful problem or they're not going to act. I know that I need to find out the emotional reason for purchasing. And I need to also find out, number four, any obstacles to moving forward. Is there going to be an issue? Is there going to be a budgeting issue, a timing issue? So I know before I go into that call that those are my four goals. Those are non-negotiables. I know that once I get off that call, I have a non-negotiable or a process that I'm going to follow up with a video stating all of the things I learned about them without ever pitching my solution. This is key. But I know that that's my process. Now, why is that so critical? Because if as an outside sales rep, you have to think, what do I do next? What do I say? What do I ask? What do I show? What do I send? I'm thinking about what my next move is or how to use my technology. And that prohibits me from truly connecting with the person in front of me. It distracts me. So if you want to really sell authentically, you need all of the things you do, the technology you do use, the activities that you employ, your sales process needs to be second nature so that we can truly create that emotional connection. I'll give you um, an analogy. I love music. I love going to concerts. Sting's one of my favorites. I got to see him here at Sundance in a really small room, like 250 people. And one thing I know about Sting is that he practices, and he's Sting, five hours every single day. Still, he's got a whole meditation practice. He has non-negotiables that he does. Now, Sting isn't thinking when he's performing, should I play a B flat? Right. I mean, he knows. He knows his music. He knows the scales so well that when he sings, he creates this intense emotion inside each and every one of us. As salespeople, we need to know our sales process so well that we never miss a note. 
That that's fantastic. What what a great what a great way to look at it. What what other traits do salespeople need to really master to 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 build this connection and trust with their customers? The traits number one is empathy. We've talked a bit about that. The other thing I call it the growth equation, and I want you to think about a triangle for a moment. One of the most important traits to master trust, first, we have to have a growth mindset. We have to be curious. Curiosity is what makes us want to know more about our customers. So we're not just going through this process or the motions, right? So if I can really work on my curiosity and think, why did they say that? Ooh, they gave me an objection. Why are they feeling that way? What's going on? So number one would be, empathy and curiosity. Number two is the trait of owning it or being able to take responsibility for our successes as well as our failures and saying, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? So rather than blaming external factors for our lack of success, we say, what could I be doing better? And that helps build trust with the customer because when we do make a mistake, when we own it, we say, oh my God, I blew it. I know we were supposed to deliver a week from Monday. My bad. Let me make it right. You're really cementing trust now because you own it. And then finally, this sort of growth equation, if you will, you've got curiosity, responsibility, and then at the top is unconscious mastery. And that again is this idea of knowing our product and service so well that we can focus on the person in front of us. Now, that doesn't mean we have all the answers, like you said. That means if we don't have the answer, we know where to get the answer. But it does mean that we know everything about the customer that's in front of us and that we've done our homework. So you said something really important there about asking great questions. How, how can salespeople get better at asking the great questions that build this trust and rapport? And, and how, can that, how, can, how can that help them drive commitments from their customers? So the first thing I recommend is that you have a standard set of questions that you ask every single customer, but then you're going to customize. You know, so you've got sort of this template, if you will, but you always want to have pre-call pre planning. And you want to think about, okay, who's going to be on the call? Because what's important to a CTO is very often different than what's important to a CMO. And you don't want to generalize, but you want to think that through before you get on the call. I've got a formula that I use that is very, very effective with salespeople. And if you're not driving, write this down. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's three types of questions you want to ask every single customer. And just for fun, I've given them names. In my book, I call them first level, second level, and third level. I now call them skin, bone, and heart questions. So when you get on a phone, you're doing a discovery call, the first type of questions you wanna ask are skin questions. So skin questions are the facts. If you're selling a software product, how many users do you have now? Uh, how many sales reps do you have? How long have you been in business? So these are sort of the facts and anybody can ask these questions right? It, they're, they're simple. In fact, you can probably get a lot of them online and as many as you can get online doing your research, you should. Mm -hmm. 
I will tell you 80% of all sales reps stop right there. They don't go any further. Better salespeople go past the skin questions, the facts, and they get to the bone questions. Bone questions reveal problems that the customer is currently having. Okay, so what are their business challenges? Um, what's wrong with the system they're using now or not using right now? And what are the financial and emotional implications of those problems? I'll tell you, a lot of sales reps, they offer a $50,000 solution, but they've only got a $10,000 problem. So you've got to not only find the problem, you've got to find the implications of that problem. So you want to ask questions that uncover problems. And then the third type of question is what I call heart questions, because the best salespeople in the world break past the skin, through the bone, and into the heart. And that's what we talked about earlier. They're the emotional reasons the customer would purchase. So to think of it very simply, a skin question is usually who, what, where, how much, when types of questions. Problem questions are, um, what are your biggest concerns about? If you could change anything about X, what would it be? What are some of the challenges you've had with such and such vendor? Hard questions are a little tougher. Hard questions are questions like, if you did meet your KPIs this year, how would that affect you personally? Why would that be important to you? What are your career goals? What would it mean to you and the culture of your organization if X happened? Then you got to be really quiet and let them answer as long as they want. Very powerful. I love the framework. I do, you know, skin, bones, and heart. I, fantastic. Um, you, and then, by the way, mm -hmm. I tell salespeople they have to have a heart on for sales. <laughs> a heart on for sales. I a like that. A heart on. You, I got. You, I said heart. Hey, cut I that said. out. Cut that. I know where <laughs> it's a heart. I am holding up right now a heart. Mm -hmm. H e a r t. A heart That's on it. for sales. I I like it. A heart on for sales. <laughs> Um, so, uh, <laughs> that's very clever of you. Um, you're so, blushing. Look, you're blushing. <laughs> you can't see me blushing. I, I am. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so you, you talk about stories in, in your book. How can salespeople engage with their customers through stories, um, to help create a sense of urgency? Well, first of all, stories by nature are emotional. There's this old adage, right? Facts tell stories sell. Why is that? If you think about it, you're reading a newspaper, there's, there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico. You never read, there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico. It was terrible. This many houses, no, it's Sasha, a single mom, was taking her daughter to school, right? So it becomes stories make communication very personalized. So I find most sales reps don't ever think about stories. They, they think about um, just relaying the facts. I think Brene Brown said stories are facts with soul. So first of all, let's think about why we even need to use stories. And then it's much less confrontational, Steve, if I tell you, you know, um, if you don't buy this software, this, this, and this could happen. And you're mm -hmm. gonna go, whoa. But if I say, you know, Steve, 
you remind me a little bit of Mitch. Mitch, software uh, entrepreneur just like you. He did this, this, and this. And here's what he found. Now I am much less confrontational. But I will tell you, most reps don't know how to tell a good third-party story or a good story testimonial. Yeah. So I always say there's five rules to a good story. And then you've got to practice, 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 practice so that they're authentic. It's sort of counterintuitive, but the more you practice something, the more authentic it comes across. That, that, that's, that's so true because you can, if you really know how to communicate something and you're good at it, then uh, you, you're spending more time actually doing the communicating when you're, rather than trying to remember the story. Um, yeah, and people remember stories. I used to, when I started in my career, I'm, so was 30 years ago, I was selling a B2C product with a very uh, short sales cycle. And I used to tell a story, it probably happened over 30 years ago. My friend and I were in Orlando, Florida, about to sit down at brunch. And all these older people came in. They were in their 80s and 90s with big red Santa hats with bells. And this one older couple sat next to us. They had to be in their late 80s. And they were smooching and cuddling. And I just couldn't help myself. And I looked over them and I said, okay, you got to tell me what's the secret to a happy marriage. I was single at the time and I'm thinking, I, I want what they have, right? Mm -hmm. And the gentleman looked at me and he says, well, I'll tell you. He says, years ago when I met Martha, you may not know this by looking at me now. He says, I was a pretty good looking guy back then. He says, and she asked me to marry, she asked me to marry her. And I told her, I need to think about it. I can't do that. And then she looked at me and says, well, you know what? You're never going to know what it's like to marry me unless you just do it. So why don't you think about it while you do it? And then he looks at me with this smile and he says, so 65 years later, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> so I used to tell that story to people say, well, I need to think about it. And instead of saying, well, why don't you think about it while you own it? I'll say, you know, you remind me of a couple that I met. And <laughs> they would laugh. And they would say, yeah, you know what? We're not going to know what this product's like until we actually own it and use it. Let's go ahead and get started. And so stories, they create this feeling of emotion and a familiarity. And if you tell the right story at the right time, you can create urgency and close that sale where otherwise the customer may be waffling a little bit. It's so true. So true. I uh, I might I might borrow that story from story from you. I, it, it, <laughs> the Santa hats really really paints a picture too. You know? <laughs> um, so, what is in a what is a receptive emotional state, and how can how can understanding this help salespeople overcome objections and close more deals? Well, this is huge. The, the biggest mistake I say salespeople make when it comes to actually closing the sale, although that's such a silly term, right? Because we're really the best salespeople in the world are overcoming customer concerns be, before they ever even happen um, because they've structured their sales process so well. But I will say that there comes a time in the sales process where you've seen it happen. Maybe you've got four or five of the decision makers and uh, one of them's gung-ho and the other's getting really nervous. 
there's a change of emotional state. And I always say that one of the number one reasons that customers often more times than not give you an excuse instead of the real objection, right? So they'll, they'll say something like, Oh, we need to think about it. We need to talk with procurement. We, you're the first one we've seen. So the biggest mistake salespeople make is they're dealing with the excuse rather than the real objection. And the reason a customer gives you an excuse is because they're in a negative, what I call a negative emotional state. So they're either in the state of fear, people would rather make no decision than make the wrong decision. They're in a state of suspicion. They don't quite believe everything you say because you didn't build enough trust. Or they're in a state of confusion. They just don't understand it. They don't understand the alternatives. It's what I said at the beginning. They, they can't make sense. How is your solution different than somebody else's solution? And so they become paralyzed. So they give you an excuse. So the lesson here is sales reps have to change the emotional state before they change the deal. But too often, the minute a customer shows resistance, what do they do? They drop the price, they show them a different offer. It, now you just lose all of this credibility instead of really getting at what's the real objection, what's the real concern, and you can only get at the real concern if you change the emotional state of the customer first. And, and so what, what if let's, let's do a little role play. If I was a customer and you're trying to change my emotional state, what would you, maybe I've given you the excuse, well, you know, I've got to talk to my business partner or, well, you know, I've got to, I've got to run this by procurement. They have a whole process or, you know, well, this, this is probably a little expensive and early for us right now. I give you an, I give you an objection. What, what is it that you do to get to the real objection? What do you do to uncover that? Let's take the business partner example. First off, I call this the ghost in the room, right? Mm -hmm. There's somebody else somewhere else that you'd love to buy it, but there's somebody else somewhere else that you just possibly can't get a hold of that you've got to talk to first. Very often an excuse, not always, but very often. So you want to isolate to see if it really is, but first you're going to change the emotional state. So what mm -hmm. you're going to do is step number one, you're going to absolutely agree with them. Most reps get defensive. Well, what do you mean you have to talk to your business partner? You said that you were the majority shareholder or whatever. It's just going to tick them off more, right? It's, they're mm -hmm. going to go from scared to mad now. Right. So, so what you would do is say, oh, I totally understand that. You know, that, that makes sense. You guys are partners. You want to make sure that you're both in alignment. Makes good sense to me. The last thing, you can even make it worse now. The last thing you want to do is invest in this solution and have your partner not be in agreement with you, right? And, and so now I'm going to, through an empathy statement, I'm going to really agree with you and, and sort of take some of that heat off you. But then I'm going to say, I'm going to isolate. And here's where most reps just don't always get this quite right. I'm going to say, let me ask you a question. Um, if your partner says yes, are you going to go ahead and do this? Yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, actually it'd probably be better for instructive capabilities for purposes for me to be like, well, actually I'm a little concerned about the price. So now I've got your real objection. So that's the whole thing is that 90% of the time sales reps are doing what I call trying to hit a hologram. They're dealing with something that's not even real. 
But now I know your real concern is price, meaning I haven't shown you enough value. So it's never price, it's always value, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the whole idea of this exercise. You could start with, well, let me ask you this. If your business partner says no, then I assume you're not going to do it. Sometimes they'll say, well, no, I, I can make a decision. Okay, right? <laughs> but, oh, or I might say, if you're, now let's say you say yes. I say, if your business partner says yes, you're going to do this. And you would say, yeah, but I just need him to say yes. Then I'm going to ask you the magic question. Why? And I'm going to zip it. Because now you're going to spend the next three to four minutes telling me why you would buy my product. And in doing so, in thinking about all the good things about my product, I've just changed your emotional state. Right. Now you are a more receptive state and you are more willing to go ahead. Because don't forget, when people are in a negative emotional state, they're in their reptilian brain. That's the fear part of their brain. It's fight or flight. They can't mm -hmm. think clearly. Only if we get them in this higher emotional state, the neocortex, can they even use all their capabilities to make a decision. So sales reps, I've just given you a lot, but think of it this way. Change the emotional state before you change the deal. Very powerful little strategy right there. I, lo I love it. Well, the next thing we're going to do is uh, a short answer uh, short question and short answer section that I call sales in 60 seconds. So uh, I'm, I'll come at you fast and furious here. What's the number one mistake salespeople make when trying to establish trust with their prospects? They pitch their products instead of finding out what's important to their customer. Which is the top soft skill every salesperson should master? It's a combination of two things. It's balancing empathy and courage. You got to like them, but you have to have the courage to ask for the sale too. And by the way, the core word of courage, the root, C-O-U-R, actually means heart in Latin. No kidding. Like so if you have enough heart, you'll ask for the order. Okay. Like corazón in Spanish or corazón yeah. in Portuguese. Yeah. There we go. Core. All right. There, there we go. There we go. Learning things new every day. There you go. Um, so uh, what's the relation between empathy and integrity they are both uh, part of the building blocks to trust empathy competency reliability integrity vulnerability where the correlation comes in is that if you care enough about your client and you can really put yourself in their shoes and what matters to them then you will have the integrity to tell them what your product won't do so they'll believe what it will do and what are the worst sales behaviors salespeople should break away from? Ego and laziness. I, by the way, I have an acronym in my book. I call it sales hell. And mm -hmm. they're the four demons that prevent us from getting everything we want out of life. Ooh, I love uh, it. Let's, let's time out the sales in 60 seconds. Tell, tell, tell me, tell me what the, tell me about this. <laughs> Don't fall into sales hell. <laughs> um, in Utah, I say sales heck. Um, habit, <laughs> Ego, laziness, and lack of knowledge. Habit, ego, laziness, and lack of knowledge. Okay. Sure. So, I, and I would say that the hardest one for salespeople is ego, and it's being uncoachable. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the difference between good and great salespeople, great salespeople are always asking the question, what can I do better? What can I do different? They don't say they didn't have the money. They say, I 
didn't show the customer the value. And once you start taking responsibility, that's when you'll grow your income. I, I would say that's not just for salespeople. I would say that's virtually for every role, personal or professional in the world. <laughs> um, which book would you recommend for our listeners to develop their empathy? Besides your own, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have so many books that I love. Uh, one that I love right now is Building Your Story Brand by Donald Miller. Mm. And it's all about starting with the customer, but it's also about crafting your personal story and your personal, um, just how to connect with customers more quickly through story. It's excellent. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes for people that are driving so they can uh, refer back to it. Um, as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step to start selling with authenticity? I would say slow down to speed up. I had a mentor once tell me we're human beings, not human doings. And there's a tendency to go, 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 move, 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 particularly as fast as technology and information and social media is coming at us. If you really want to connect and sell with authenticity and sell more, before you jump on that phone, before you meet with that client, find out about them. Put yourself in their shoes. Reflect on what matters to them and slow down and your sales will speed up. Well, I'm going to try to summarize all the, all the wisdom you've provided for us today for, for everybody that's driving and, and couldn't take notes. Um, so there are three types of sellers. The first type of seller is a giver of information. The second type of seller is a teller of information. And the third type of seller is a sense maker where they make sense of all the information that the customer has and, and, and helps them understand how they can purchase a product like yours. Empathy and competency make up 90% of trust. Empathy gets you in the door, competency carries you through. Understand why your customers do what they do and what's important to them. All decisions are emotional. The rational brain can't make decisions without including emotions. Understand the emotional motivators that your prospect, prospects have in order to move the deal through the pipeline faster. The growth equation, um, have a growth mindset and be curious. And that means number one, having empathy and curiosity. Number two, owning it, taking responsibility for your successes and failures. Ask, what could I have done better? Three, unconscious mastery. Know your product so well that you don't even need to think about, about your product at all and you can just focus on, on your communication and focus on the customer. Three types of questions to ask every single customer. Uh, the skin questions, though these are the facts. So how many users do you have now? How long have you been in business? The number two is the bone questions. 
So these are problems that they're facing. What are their business challenges? What are the issues with the product that they're using right now to solve this problem? What are the implications of, of solving this problem? What are the implications of not solving this problem? Three, the heart questions, the emotional reasons that people purchase. So if you beat your KPIs this year, what would that mean to you? What are your goals? How does this affect you personally? Stories create a feeling of emotion and familiarity. If you tell the right story at the right time, it creates a sense of urgency. Salespeople need to change the emotional state before they can change the deal. So change the emotional state to understand a customer's real objections and to get past excuses. So you can change someone's emotional state, uh, state, change a prospect's emotional state by first agreeing with them if, if, they, uh, if they've had an objection. Um, so in, this, in, in the example of, of having a part, their, their objection was, oh, I've got to talk to my partner before I make this decision. You would say, yeah, I totally agree. It's important to talk to your partner. And then you isolate. Um, so if, if your partner says yes, are, are you actually, are, are you going to do this? And if they say yes, then you can say, you can ask them why. And that's a strategy to change their emotional state, which is, I, I think is just so powerful. Um, so Sherry, where can our listeners read more about your work? I mean, obviously your book, uh, which we'll put in the show notes. Uh, where can they reach out to you? Um, how can they learn more about you? Well, we did put together a little treat for your listeners. And uh, if you text heart and sell to 31996, you can take a little quiz to see, do you lead with empathy or courage? So we have a little quiz and it'll tell you. And we find that most sales reps either have too much empathy and not enough courage or too much courage and not enough empathy. And then we give you some strategies on how to move forward. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I publish videos at least once a week. They're absolutely free, sales training videos. Or you can reach out to me directly at Sherry, S-H-A-R-I, at Sherry, S-H-A-R-I, Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-I-N.com. Very cool. Well, uh, Sherry, I really appreciate you coming. This has been a fantastic episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If any of our listeners can think of other sales reps that would benefit from learning the skills we've talked about today, uh, feel free to forward this episode to them. Uh, Sherry, it's been nothing but a pleasure to have you on the, on the show. I really appreciate you coming. Um, take care until next time, everybody. Thanks, Steve.